This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness, extensive bio, y'all. The man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tit... Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll do it for him one time. The Reverend Dr. <laughs> Jamar Tisby, what's going on, brother? Hey, man, I'm feeling good. How, how, how you doing, bro? How you I'm doing, doing okay. Bro? You know what I love about whenever I start the intro, y'all are like nodding like like an engine is revving up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like that energy. I miss seeing that. Y'all are like nodding like, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know what, man? We're talking about something really intriguing today, and we're talking about it because of an episode that we released earlier this year. So I did, we had our whole Leave Loud series and we, we're still continuing that Leave Loud series. And then we had a conversation that we added in because I didn't feel like I could tell my story without talking about my father and 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 actually not talking about him, but talking to him. Mm-hmm. So I want to give him voice um, in that space. And I also want to introduce people to my dad. Like, I feel like, you know, he's a very intriguing character. His story is incredibly uh, fascinating. We call him OG Pastor Burns at the church. And so I got so many comments. Now, that co- that conversation was healing and cathartic for us. Hmm. And it's similar to conversations we've been having for a while. But I got so many comments about from people publicly and privately saying, I just love the episode with your father. Um, I love his wisdom. I love the affirmation between you all. Um, this is just so, it's so beautiful. It's so special. And I agree with that. But I think it also obscured a reality, hmm. if I can be honest. What obscured the reality of what was obscured in that conversation is our relationship has always been and remains very complicated. Hmm. And I think, yes, I can affirm and say 100% that my father has been uh, affirming of my purpose and my call and where God has, has taken me and always been number one supporter, the one who cheers, you know, at the finish line at the track meets, the one who's in the stands at all the basketball games, uh, the one who is, you know, saying, wow, whenever I send him clips and ideas that I have. Um, you know, kind of one of my first, the first people that I send stuff to, but that relationship is extremely complicated and it has been complicated. And then zooming out, I was also reading this article in the New York times called, I think it's called how black parents survived 2020. Hmm. And it was profiling young black parents almost exclusively with children or younger children, early couples, young married couples who are navigating this COVID reality with homeschooling children and protecting themselves and making sure that they had enough provisions and work shifts and going remote and and sending money home to their parents. And it made me ask this question 
that I think a lot of people are asking in our space. What do we do with our black parents, man? Hmm. What do we do with them? I said something else off mic that I'll leave off mic. But what do we do with our (laughs) black parents? What do we do with our black parents? Because there is a shifting world under our feet and the realities of what we have been taught have been challenged and not necessarily the realities of what we've been taught biblically, but what we've been taught socially, Hmm. what we've been taught relationally and the family dynamics conversation and the family systems theory conversation and the change theory conversation and the Overton window and all these other things. It is things have changed. (laughs) And so it is different to be a black parent now but I am a black parent and I'm also a black son. Yeah. A and black parent with black parents. With black parents. And I think that a, a constant question that those of us in our age bracket range and also in our black Christian space and community, stepping into all this freedom and embodiment and loving ourselves and stepping into what we do, we are asking the question, what do, what do we do with our parents? How do we relate to our parents? How do we, how are we even children now? Are you resonate? Does this resonate? Is this something that you're hearing? I mean, I think I'm in a season of life where I'm a parent. Yeah. My parents and my wife's parents are getting older. Mm -hmm. Um, but we still have a relationship with them. And it's just, it's like, it's like a stage in a season of life, right? But to your point, what they did to get us here is going to be different than what we have to do to get our kids where they need to be. Hmm. And so I, I think there's there's it's probably a generational you know question that that always comes up, but yeah, I think what makes this question so pertinent is two things. Number one, well, I, maybe it's one overarching thing I should say, and that is the stakes are high. Yeah, it feels like the stakes are higher now than they have been before, and what I mean by higher now is not that there was not heavy responsibility and life or death implications to black parenting in generations before. Of course there were, but this is, we're on the cusp and the blurred line and the edge of success and failure or, or, or great accomplishment and family changing accomplishment and mediocrity. And then secondarily on the flip side of that coin, it is life and death. Mm-hmm. And so especially what I mean is there are a lot of people who feel like now in certain areas of life that as children, they have to parent their parents. <laughs> and as and as grown adults, now they have to they have to protect and have some sort of shielding and love and care and emphasis and urgency that their parents don't receive. Hmm. So let's zoom out because yeah, this is heavy. Let's zoom out. Okay. <laughs> but I think, I hope, I hope people can resonate with this because I'm, I'm having these conversations of, okay, this next generation of us walking into who we are and, you know, early thirties, mid thirties, even mid twenties, we're now trying to figure out, well, what is it? What is it that we do with our parents and how do we relate? So let's talk about upbringing, how it was probably different for our parents versus others, um, versus ourselves. 
So growing up, I think one of the things that resonated with me most is I had Southern black parents. Mm hmm. And I had Southern black parents who had acute stories of racial trauma. Mm. And I had Southern black parents that were um, that were trained and uh, spiritually saved and discipled in white evangelical settings. And yet still retained black association, was around black family and oftentimes in black spaces. But I was raised a little bit different, I feel like, than my black peers. Hmm. And so the first thing that I got from my parents that is so interesting is preservation. Like there was very much a sense of protection and preservation of what I had on the inside of me, but protection and preservation from forces that I couldn't really explain or that I couldn't really identify why I needed to be protected from them. Like this stereotypical pseudo, the world. Hmm. Like the world is going to corrupt you. The world is going to do this to you. And there were very basic tenets of how I was raised of things I couldn't do and I shouldn't do. Not just because I was a PK, but because that was the distinctly Christian way of yeah, raising. I was going to say, is this more like the, the protection? Is that more like a perception of Christian holiness and what that looks like or, or more like a sociocultural protection from the dangers of the world? Well, let me get to this because <laughs> that's a great question because that's what it started off as was this is Christian holiness. Mm. Like you keep yourself, you, you do these things. You don't participate in this. You don't participate in that. You don't um, hang out late at night with these people. You don't sleep around. You don't sleep with anybody. You know, you know, it's right. just like you, you, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And over time, not saying I was perfect and didn't have rebellious moments, but I adhere to that. I was a, I was the oldest child of three, mm. and I was the oldest by I'm the oldest by ten years, so I'm the oldest child. <laughs> and I felt like I had a standard to uphold. I saw my parents plan a church. I was there for it in the raising of that church, the the building of that church. Stepped into ministry myself in my adult years, and so I was there. But something shifted when I got back from college, mm. and something shifted because, and I think this is like a key element. I left home. Yeah. So there was obviously a sense in which I, me being home and being in my hometown, it affected me. But then I left home and I got to see different things. And when I got to see different things, it's, and I didn't just leave home. Like I went to Tallahassee or Gainesville. I went to Virginia. Far from home. It's far from home. A whole different, technically, region of the country from where I grew up. And so as a result of that, I feel like that changed me. And then when I came back, mm. you know, I don't know if, I don't know if my parents liked who I be became. What, what, what gave you that impression? Hmm. I don't know if they liked my agency. Huh. And you can be an adult and not have agency. Yeah. Especially with your parents. You can, yeah, Exactly. You can be an adult child and not have agency. You can be an adult child and not have autonomy. You can be an adult child and not have, not like a sense of, of adherence or bondage to your parents, but you can just be quiet. Ooh. And when the Lord really spoke to me about what I felt like I was called to do at 19. 
and, you know, speak the truth clearly, beautifully, unashamedly across all forms of media, I knew I had to hone my voice and I knew that my voice was going to be my weapon. Now, at that time, I was just a megaphone, a bullhorn, you know, so it's caustic and, and over the top. So even in a, you know, you, you have a bullhorn for a specific purpose, right? You have a megaphone for, for a specific like setting. And so I was using it in the house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. So I was using it in church staff meetings. Like I was yeah. a bullhorn and it's like, okay, you need to chill. You know, you need the, your normal voice for that. But I think the first time it really resonated with me was, um, I think it was when I was talking about life direction. And I felt like I had been called to do some things that were different and unique. And they were supportive, but hesitant. Working with the witness. <laughs> no, not the witness at all. It was more, it was more like, it was more like I was showing up in spaces, whether it was corporate America or um, my bivocational work, my writing work. And I was showing up in spaces that were not stereotypical spaces. They wouldn't for, have for fit that sort of holiness that wouldn't, mold. Well, not even necessarily the holiness mold, but just the distinct, it was more Christian culture war than anything else. Okay. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I feel like, and, and it wasn't like, cause, cause holiness is like old school, like black holiness, yeah. you know, like skirts down to your ankles, right. you know, no pants. Like, no, it wasn't necessarily that. It was more like, um, the assumption that being in a space corrupts yeah. the person who exists in it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they liked, I don't know if they liked who I became. And it's not that they weren't proud of me. I think there was a season where like this you. is, this is it. This is it. I think that our black parents struggle to interpret and embrace our change because they see our change as a referendum on what they taught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't see me without seeing what they taught me. And as an oldest son, that's your legacy. And when you see your legacy going in a way that you might not fully identify with, and you might not fully embrace and you might not fully understand in the moment. I, I don't know how they took it. It's like a judgment on what they taught you. What did we do wrong? Right. When nothing was wrong, I, I was, everything was right. I could change because they had built the foundation for me. And in I could change sense, because they had loved me. You right. In the sense of, is what we taught you not good enough? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and so the reason I bring all this up is I feel like what I'm sensing is this great tension between black Christians who are stepping into themselves and also having greater conversations about things of race and justice and faith and decolonization, deconstruction, parenting, relationships, trauma. And and our parents don't have any categories for this. And in some cases I'm hearing, which isn't necessarily, I don't think the case in, in my situation, but in some cases they don't even want to have a category for it, right? Or they don't even know how to learn something new at their age, or they don't even know how to process it. And so there is this deep sense in all of us that wants to honor our parents 
and love them fully. Um, and there's this question that I think a lot of us are asking. It's the question behind the question. Everybody keeps saying, well, what, how, what do we do with our parents? No, I think there's a question behind the question, which is why won't they let us love them? Mm. Why won't they let us love them? And that's, that's what I think. That's what I think hurts us is because we want to love them better than what we could have loved them if we didn't learn what we learned and if we didn't know what we know now. I mean, what strikes me is uh, every generation of black people struggles in order to find more freedom. Yes. In every way, shape and form. Uh, every permutation of that word freedom you can think of. And and I will say this too. It, every black parent is pursuing this regardless of if they agree with our approach to justice, race, white supremacy, right. whatever. Everybody's looking for it. They just couch it in different terms. They say opportunity. Right. <laughs> right. right. Or they say, I'm giving you a chance. Right. But everyone is, and that's I think fundamental is everyone's trying to pursue more freedom and flourishing yeah. for their families. And so, and so the, the, the almost paradox of it is that the struggle they went through in order to achieve more freedom, and oftentimes it's couched in terms of for my children. So my mm-hmm. children don't have to go through the same thing I went through. Right. That very struggle creates a different world and context and reality than the one they went through. So their understandings of what it takes to, quote unquote, make it or to even be free is situated in their generational context yes, as well as regional and all that stuff. But we are living into the freedom that their struggle gained for us, but it looks different. So it's like what got you here won't get you there kind of a thing. Yes, 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 yes. And I think, and I think this is just the natural, it is the natural shifting of what is, but then I think it's also the trusting as well. Yeah. The trust, which is is always that moment of, cause you never stop being a parent. Yes. Yes. And that's on a thing because our parents aren't here. Like that's on the flip side of like, oh no, I know that it's probably jarring to say, oh, my child is going to you know, first day of school, right? First day of pre-K, which is something I just recently experienced. So first day of pre-K, you know, you're, you're like, you're looking around, your dart, your eyes are darting around 10 different times to try to figure out, okay, what are the exits? What are, what are the, can I meet all the teachers? Can I meet the teacher next to the teacher? Can I, you know, <laughs> can I meet the administrator? Can I meet the principal? Can I email somebody? Can I call somebody? What are the, what are the emergency procedures? You're looking over the handbook and the pamphlet and all that. Kid, yeah. I want to take care of my kid because she's entering into something new. But I think also there's that perspective of, you know, now our parents still have that feeling mm-hmm. and their that love Always is still will. there, even if it's expressed differently. And even if the involvement is different and they're still saying, well, are you okay? Yeah. And that's kind of the, the level of understanding and honoring that love is still present and love is still there. And I think, on the flip side, I don't think black parents of a previous generation understand how much, how deeply we love them 
and have this innate desire and pressure, especially for those of us who are millennials, this innate desire and pressure to enhance and advance our families. That our legacy, our legacy can't stop where we got it. Right. And so we're fighting tooth and nail and clawing. And sometimes we feel like we have to fight them. Mm. So, yeah. So For them. Right. You see what I'm saying? That is like, it's like, so you, you, you've referred to what do we do with our black parents? What's the problem? What's the dilemma? What's the resistance that you've seen? Yeah. I think a lot of people have talked about this resistance of, of in the context of fear of the unknown and I think another part of this is we don't really have like rites of passage for mm, our culture, right? So, okay. You know, I, we don't we don't really have anything that signifies that something has changed. Yeah. yeah. Right. We don't even we have we, we we talk about this a lot in our church context because the the thing that was started to become the signifier of change was was this mythical baton, right? So when things started to change over to me from my father. It was the baton, the baton. And my father had this this uh, story about Miles Monroe said he had a dream and he died with the baton in his hand. And, you know, he's not going to die with the baton in his hand. He wants to pass it to the next generation while he's still alive. And and so this thing became the baton. And when does the baton get passed? But there was there hasn't yet been at that moment where it's been officially passed. Hmm. It's just been implicitly imp- passed. And so and so see. Now you're like, oh, okay, well, what's, what's, the tra- what's the transitionary moment? Is it graduation? Is it marriage? Is it kids? Is it, when's the moment when where- When am I officially where, an adult? When am I officially that person? And what, when do we define our relationship differently as mm, a result of mm, it? Mm. And so I think that makes it seem like the lines will always stay blurred because we don't ever have the moment of, Oh, our relationship is changing. We are acknowledging it. We are publicly saying it. And as this relationship changes, we as a community will act differently as a result of this. Hmm. And that will always be my son or my daughter. You know, I will always be their parent. But now they're stepping into a different space within the broader kinship they, of the family. They grown. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like those rites of passage or transitions were clearer in the past? No, I feel like they were forced upon them earlier in the past. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like, I feel like my parents grew up at 13. Yeah. I feel like my parents grew up at 14. I feel like my parents were raising kids at 15, even though they weren't their own. Mm. And so I feel like they were forced into adulthood by, by crisis and tragedy. So it, it perfected because because the mistakes you make then are life and death for the people who are under you and yeah. for you. Yeah. Because there's no safety net. Yeah. And for us, it's different because the safety net is a little bit bigger or it's a little bit more established or they have, uh, you know, more opportunities or there's more connections or there's this or that. And so it produces something different. And so I think that's a lot of where the disconnect happens too, right? Where it's it's like, that rite of passage for them was, we ain't got no food in the house. The mm-hmm. rite of passage for us is, do I accept this job or not? Do I take this job or start my own company? You know? Yeah. <laughs> right? like, that's a different conversation, right? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I mean, and that's the inevitable progress of a generation, but that's why we speak different languages. Yes. I think that is true. I mean, I'm definitely in a different position as far as my options for 
school, work, earning, places to live, other, you know, things like that. Like when my mom was uh, going to college, she told this story repeatedly growing up. She had, as a black woman, two options. She could go into healthcare or she could go into education. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And she didn't like blood, so she went into education. Taught for 37 years. (laughs) Hmm. Me, was like, went to Notre Dame. You know, I can go out and do do whatever whatever, we want. Yeah. Right? At the same time, you have these stories of kids today having to grow up too soon. So, for instance, right? Of course. Like my son, who's been, you know, very well shielded from a lot of stuff still has grown up in a generation of he's 11. So um, Barack Obama's second term, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, what is his life marked by black lives matter, occupy Mm -hmm. wall street, absolutely, a pandemic marching in the streets. Absolutely. You know, so, but do our parents interpret our lives and our adulthood through that lens, a lot of times is the issue, right? No, yeah. You see what I'm saying? So, like, we interpret it through our through that lens because it's like, oh, this is this civil rights movement of our time. So yeah, we are gonna protest. Yeah, we are gonna go to the you know back home. Yeah, so we are gonna go to the graf- graffiti bridge. And yeah, we are gonna march. And yeah, we are gonna block the road. Like, yeah, that's what we are gonna do. That's what we we're like. Of course, you know yeah, okay. And see, see, so them they don't interpret it like that. This y'all can do whatever y'all want. It's so interesting because in the civil rights movement, when young people participated, their parents were like, what are you doing? Keep your head down. (laughs) Shut up. Why are you going to the problem? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So it's almost like, what do we do do with our parents when we are leaning into our generation's struggle, our generation's obstacles to freedom? And trying to tear them down when they look different from our parents yeah. or when uh-huh. their parents still want to protect their children. Absolutely. You, you know, I, I think we need to take a break here because I think there is another side of this, though, because we're talking about struggle. But there's another side of this. We'll be right back here on Pass the Mic. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit. Hey folks, Jamar Tisby, co-host of the Pass the Mic podcast, and I have a quick request for you. If you have appreciated the podcast, would you consider becoming a patron of the podcast? Head over to patreon.com slash pass the mic. That's M-I-C, patreon.com slash pass the mic. And you can support us per episode at $1 all the way up to $10. You get special access, special privileges for being a patron of the podcast. But most importantly, 
If you have appreciated the work of me and Tyler and Bo, uh, low these many years since 2013, we would really appreciate it if you lent us your financial support so that we can keep doing this and even get better at what we're doing and increase our offerings. So go to patreon.com slash pass the mic and become a supporter of the podcast. Thanks so much. So we've been talking about things from this idea of struggle and success, but then there's this other concept and idea, which is safety. Hmm. And you know what I think is so fascinating, Jamar, is when I was growing up, my parents would always tell me about the dangers, right? As I mentioned before, talk about the dangers of you know, implicitly, physically, and spiritually, mentally, emotionally, just talk about the dangers, the dangers, the, the dangers. But what I'm finding is like, I feel like us as millennials and, and Gen Z, we're more acutely aware of the dangers than our parents are. And a perfect example is, is COVID-19. Mm. It's like a perfect example of this, right? And so we're, we're like, yo, wear a mask. Yo, get vaccinated. Yo, don't go over to grandma and them house. <laughs> Yo, do not go home for Thanksgiving. Don't. Yo, like, don't, don't do, don't gather. Don't do this. Don't do this. It's going to be fine. I'm, I, and I, I'm not saying that was my case. Personally, I'm just saying in general. It's like, this is a, this is a whole pandemic. Yeah. Like the pandemic does not care about your 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 uh positivity the the right, pandemic does right, not care about right. your your perseverance and your resilience or you know or your or your pseudo pseudo spirituality which will make it seem like oh well you know what we cover by the blood mm. you know what you're gonna be covered in blood if you mm. <laughs> need to be covered by a mask you need to be covered by a mask okay yeah, yeah. you 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 cover by the blood and you lock your door and you wear a seatbelt right right and you got you got multiple guns in your house be covered by the blood and do and believe science right and so i think that was a lot of our frustration is we're like yo if y'all don't sit down somewhere we need you around and it felt so strange i think for so many of us because we were like yo are we parenting our parents Hmm. why are we telling them this and it's not that we were like but there was this urgent fight and struggle that we were fighting an enemy we couldn't see and we were fighting an enemy that could take and catch any of us and we had no idea what was around and and it could take our parents out and it could negatively affect them and it could change our family's history and legacy and we were we were begging and pleading and worrying and stressing and probably took some years off our life unfortunately so stressed out saying i just want my parents to make it through this pandemic so you think it was like exacerbated and highlighted by this pandemic? Absolutely. Like that generational divide. I think it's it's the thing that highlighted it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think there's another question about, you know, safety from white supremacy. But I, th- I think the safety element mainly is COVID. Like that's the thing that has got us asking these, these questions particularly. So um, I don't know. Did you have to go through that with your parents? I I. So on my wife's side, yes. <laughs> they were they were eager for whenever the vaccine. I think so. So we've 
talked a little bit about vaccine hesitancy, which is not monolithic, right? Right, absolutely. And absolutely. and black people have many reasons to distrust the medical establishment absolutely. that go even beyond the the Tuskegee experiment, right? Right, right. right. Uh, just historic in- inequities, not listening to uh, black women who are in pain, all of these right. things, absolutely. right? Absolutely, yes, yes, yes. So, so yes. that vaccine hesitancy is well-earned in a white supremacist yes. society. It is, it is, it is. Um, on my wife's side, they were like, sign me up, how early can I get the vaccine? On my side, uh, my mom had already passed. So, but then my dad was like, I don't know. Right. And we're like, dad, you got comorbidities. You, you got other people in the household. What are you talking about? And it was just, it was, it was that, you know, constellation of, concerns and worries and whatnot that he had as a person in a different generation and under different influences. So he had to persuade him. He ultimately did, thankfully. Um, But that was mostly him looking out for the rest of the family. Yes. And here's the thing. Here's the the nuance to this, right? Because I don't want to make it seem like you know, black parents by and large didn't want to get the vaccine or didn't want to wear masks. That's not what I'm saying. There's a lot of complicated elements to this, but there is a level of urgency from us. Where's the urgency from us? Because we know that black communities are going to be disproportionately right. affected by this because we have a, a a worldview and a broad perspective on systemic racism and health disparities. <laughs> And because we have immersed ourselves in the reality of systemic racism and health disparities, now we're trying to tell them, no, if you get this, this is different. It is different if you get this than if somebody else gets this. So respond and react with urgency because this is going to disproportionately affect us, <laughs> right? Our people. You see what I'm saying? So there's like that crossover into the, oh, no, no, no. This is systemic racism at play here. These are health disparities at play here. And so that's why we're saying, hey, you got to get this right now. You have to change your life. You have to, you know, adjust. You have to social distance. No, you cannot come over for Christmas. No, you cannot do this. No, you cannot do that. And we love you and we miss you and and we're devastated, but it is and that's that literally happened to me on Christmas. Hmm. So what happened to me on Christmas is we were they were actually going to come over and I got sick the morning of Christmas. And so I got sick the morning Was of it Christmas. COVID? No, it wasn't. <laughs> but I was sick, sick. And I was like, I was supposed to be cooking and all this other stuff. So I was like, uh, no, I can't have y'all over here. And that's a reality. And it's, it's hard, right? Like, you're like, we can't come over for Christmas. I don't want to put you at risk. Cause if it is COVID, right. You see what I'm it saying? Could be deadly, yeah. It could be deadly for us and it could be deadly for the whole family. You go over and see grandma and them, then it's an outbreak. Is a super spreader. So we're thinking about that. And I'm like, well, okay. I mean, I guess if that's what you, and I'm like, yeah, but you know, I love y'all. Like I got to, you know, I want to see y'all cause I haven't seen y'all in months, but this the reality can I really, can I really test this? Can I really? And that's like some of the frustration is, man, we want to, we, we love y'all. We want to protect y'all. We want to jump in front of the pain for y'all. Mm. We we don't want y'all to experience any of that. And now we're transitioning to the space where it's like, oh, our parents might need to be. Mm. We might need to protect them in this season. 
Like we might need to be asking them the questions in this season. We might need to be anticipating the threats for them in this season. And to parent and, and to parent children and then to turn around and try to protect our parents. And there's so many sides to this. So I'm just speaking from, from one perspective because our parents aren't here. But I'm we're also thinking about that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's very real. So what do we do with them? What do we do, man? What do we do? Can I tell you one thing that I'm just, I, I feel like it's so important and I'm, I'm like, man, I'm going to fight for this in the next six months. Like this is going to be the hill I die on. I, I really want to get my whole family unit in group therapy. Whoa. It's going to be the hill I die on. Whoa. I know my brother and sister listen to the podcast, so they're probably laughing right now. Hilariously <laughs> laughing. They're like, oh, okay, good luck. May the odds be ever right, in your favor. Right. But I feel like I want to make that my dying hill because I just want us to be emotionally healthy and I want us to process the trauma we went through. Wow. That could be, that could be, I mean, I understand why it's the hill you would want to die on because it could be potentially so transformative and break generational curses. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Do y'all realize, and this is the problem. I, I don't think a lot of people realize this. I was having this conversation with someone recently, but do y'all realize that the reason why it's so hard for us is because we're, we're interrupting cycles. Yeah. <laughs> we're fighting a lineage of cycles. That's why it's so hard for us. We're interrupting something that has existed long before us. Mm. And I don't want my kids to deal with that. I don't want that to be present in me and in our, our family unit. And so I think that's going to, I don't, I, and I know therapy isn't the answer to everything. It's not what I'm saying, but like, I feel like that's the hill to die on. Like, what would it look like if, and you know, my, my family on my dad's side is kind of doing something similar to this, but what if, what would it look like if we recovered what it meant to be a communal, a communal family of spiritual disciplines and emotional maturity. What would it look like if, if there were two elements and rhythms in the family unit, group prayer and group therapy? What would that look like? How would that change our family? And we, I would probably have to initiate. Yeah. Yeah. The kid has to initiate it. But that, and that's okay. But I'm just saying that's, that's incumbent upon me to say, why don't we pray together? And why don't we, even when we're not on this, where, where's the open prayer line that says, yo, every morning, every, every such and such morning, we pray at this line, you know, and my, my family on my dad's side is like a Bible study that they do. Like, but what, what is it like every, every, this such and such morning we do this. And then once a month, we're going to go to therapy together. We're going to work this out. So it's almost like when we ask, what do we do with our black parents? It's part of the question is, how do we convey to them the information, the growth and the learning that we've acquired largely because of them? Yes. The position they've placed yes. us in. What does honoring father and mother look like That's now? That's right. Honor your father and mother, which everyone who said honor meant obey. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And now how do we honor them even in all the things that we've learned and how do we strive to convey to them that there is a deep abiding, respectful, um, 
all-consuming love hmm. for everything that they are. And yet there is deep pain. And so how do we come together and say, in love, how do we seek peace? And in love, how do we seek flourishing and fulfillment for every member of the family together? Yeah. Yeah. That's deep. And I keep thinking of black children who don't have good relationships with their parents. They may be estranged. It may be toxic. There may be a history of abuse and what not. And like, that's a slightly different situation, oh, but it's not. It yeah. is, but it isn't because it's still, how do we honor our parents? Yeah. But then honoring your parents in those cases can look like setting clear boundaries. Absolutely. Distancing, the healthy distancing from toxic people or situations, right? It can, or it could look like reconciliation. Yeah. Even if they did something wrong and they should be the ones to initiate it. Yeah. It may not be the case that that ever happens, but honoring your father and mother, the honoring thing to do might be to initiate that reconciliation. And if they accept, wonderful. If they don't, you've honored them. Hmm. Hmm. I think another thing that's so good. I think another thing that we're inevitably having to do is include our parents as a line item in our budget. Yes. Oh man, look. Look. And I know everybody ain't balling. But if you know, when you make it, go ahead and go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and mark that out, big dog. Go ahead and mark that out. When you quote unquote get to that place where you're like, oh, I didn't know I was gonna be here this quickly. Great. Make sure you don't forget about where you came from. You got to set aside something for them. Especially as they get older, more health problems. And we have this messed up healthcare system in the U.S. where it is stacked against people and most against people who don't already have a lot. Do y'all realize, do y'all realize, and I didn't know this till I was studying labor history in grad school. We chose in the first third-ish of the 20th century to attach healthcare to employment. Look, man. Which is Look, bro. so backwards. Look, bro. Even as you compare it to, to other nations. Like, what sense even does that make? That you have to have a job, a particular kind of job that comes with healthcare, in order to have your physical needs taken care of medically. Bro, it's 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 just wild, man. It is wild that we do this to human beings and other image bearers as if this is the only system. So I bring all that up to say that line item could get bigger and bigger and bigger. But if we have the mentality, we need to have the mentality and cultivate the mentality early that that's going to just be a part of our budget. And I think, man, I. What does the ministry of presence look like in these relationships? Mm, oh, wow. What does the ministry of presence look like in relationships that are triggering? And in a pandemic. In a <laughs> pandemic. What does the ministry of presence look like, man? And I don't know. Like, I think, I think it's, it's easy to let that slip. But I think rhythm yeah. Like, what does rhythm yeah. look like? I think it's yeah. all down to that. You know, what does rhythm look like for us to be in space? How do we create space yeah. where 
boundary still exists, but at least proximity is there's some proximity present. It, you know, where boundaries are, are still there. Yeah. But I'm at least in the room, even if I'm not like one on one. So, right? I mean, that's so hard. That's a very painful topic for me because yeah. once I moved away to college, I never moved close to home. Yeah. I, I kept moving further and further. As a matter of fact, we are an 11 hour drive from my family, my parents and a nine hour drive from my wife's. And we have a son who's not growing up around grandparents or cousins and things like that. So that's extremely painful. And we always go back and forth about, should we move closer to home? So I know there are folks who are in a similar situation for whatever reason, but what you said about rhythms is so crucial because there can be rhythms of visiting, hopefully, if you have the means to right. go back and be physically present, but there just needs to be rhythms of communication and honestly, it sort of gets back to good parenting, right? Like good parenting seldom happens in these point in time moments, right? Right. The, right, the right. conversation, yeah, yeah, yeah. the the whatever. It's that consistency. It's right. that rhythm of doing the best you can in a consistent manner. And I think it's similar with the ministry of presence with parents, whether it's a physical or a virtual thing. It is, it's, it's not just the Thanksgiving. It's mm-hmm. not just the Christmas. It's the weekly. It's the daily in some cases, right? And that can be so hard, especially if you're a young professional or yes. working on your social life or you yes. have your own young children. Yes. And yes. I just think, man, look, the older I've gotten and the older my parents have gotten, all they really want is to hear from me. Yeah. And so many times our parents, all they really want is to hear from us. And those, those are the times when we get to like, oh, you're not wearing a mask? What? What? Right. right. <laughs> but you will not have the, the, the kind of credibility, the kind of relational capital you need unless we're cultivating that ministry of presence through regular rhythms of communication and contact. If you can do it. Sometimes it's not healthy for that. But right. if you can and perhaps maybe the 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 things have been reversed in our stories right like i mentioned earlier what changed me was was going away and perhaps what will ultimately change us in the next season is coming back you know i just want to hold space for a lot of people who are this is this is this a pressing question conversation yeah this is a pressing question you know, praise and, and gratitude and thanks to God for those of us who have tremendous relationships with our parents, but we hold space for those of us who do not. Yeah. And this, this truth of Psalm 27, you know, uh, when mother and father forsake, the Lord takes us up. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't make it easier. So we hold space for you and, um, you know, we're proud of, we're so proud of you. You know, and I know some some people may not be able to hear that. Uh, we're proud of who you're becoming, yeah. you know, and and proud of who the Lord is shaping you into. Um, and for those of us who have to make hard decisions, may we may we not just say them on podcasts or hmm. reflect on them, but may we actually make those decisions and make those sacrifices and get the help and the healing that is necessary for us to be healthy. Um, not so that we can have better parents but so we can be better children 
And then we can be better parents to our children. And the cycle will stop with us and and a, a healthy, healed, whole black family. Mm. That's when it will be possible. Interrupt the cycle. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.